It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines, a panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. It's a Thursday in Southern California. Who wants to talk sports up and down the West Coast? We do. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, along with my partner, John Riley, from our studios in Southern California. As we begin, Hacksaw's headlines in an unbelievably busy Thursday podcast. John, we got a ton of topics on the table. We're going to cover the waterfront. But first, before we do, introduce to all the viewers with us on our live stream and then who will follow up and watch on on a regular podcast, the best way they can follow us by subscribing and also what we do at the tail end of the program where we give them a voice to be part of our podcast. Okay, right on, Lee. So, yeah, you could be uh, uh, involved in the podcast. If you got a comment or a question for Hacksaw, just type it in on the live stream on either Facebook or YouTube. We'll see it on the, our screen here, and we'll include you in the fans forum segment that we'll have at the conclusion of Hacksaw's headlines. And, yeah, get on, get on board, subscribe on the YouTube channel, uh, Lee Hacksaw Hamilton. Maybe you're watching it right now. Just click on the subscribe button. Click on that bell. Get the alerts. You can also subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to follow Hacksaw on Twitter at at Hacksaw1090. And follow me on my website because there's a lot of written information every day of the week. That's LeeHacksawHamilton.com, our award-winning website. As I would say, here's what's going on in the world of sports. Here's what Lee Hamilton and John Riley think. Holy cow, have we got topics on the table? Start. Well, it's the conclusion of the winter meetings, and there were so many headlines that came out of San Diego where all the teams got together. Open your checkbook and spend money. The the salaries that they gave out to the marquee free agents were staggering, John. Now, they're not done yet. There's more. But let's start with what happened involving Aaron Judge. He was a topic of conversation with us over the last month or so. Where would he wind up? Aaron Judge, at the last minute, overnight, elected to stay with the New York Yankees. He signs a $40 million a year contract, nine years, $360 million total. He goes to the top of the all-time average salary chart at $40 million per season. Now, he looked at the Dodgers. He visited the Giants. He went to Tampa on Monday and met face-to-face with Hal Steinbrenner and then came to San Diego. We thought for a press conference here, but instead he came to San Diego and wound up at Petco Park with Peter Seidler, with A.J. Preller and the Padres organization, and the Padres reportedly made him a similar offer. Uh, But the magnitude of the money was only a piece of the equation from what my sources tell me. He looked at each of these marketplaces very differently. Legacy with the Yankees and the fact they told him he would be their captain. And to him, the history of Yankee baseball, Lou Gehrig, captaincy, all that played into the equation. He looked at San Francisco. He saw the cavernous stadium. He didn't think he could reproduce the home run totals in San Francisco that he did at Yankee Stadium. He talked to the Dodgers. I'm not sure there was a final offer ever made by Los Angeles. He talked to San Diego. I had a source tell me that he thinks one of the intangible reasons Aaron Judge did not come here was the fact that a year from now, Manny Machado can opt out. Two years from now, Juan Soto becomes a walk-free agent. 
The agents representing those guys are going to take their guys and put them out on the marketplace because if the price tag is $40 million this afternoon, it might be $50 million per player next year in free agency. Judge was fearful, according to my source, that he would wake up one morning and all the marquee guys around him would be gone. That weighed into the equation. Then the Yankees flashed the money. They upgraded their proposal three different times, and they told them, we want you to be our captain, and they mentioned Lou Gehrig and all that. That's why he wound up going to the New York Yankees. For the Padres, close but no cigar. Reaction? It was a shock to hear that the Padres are even involved with Aaron Judge. But, you know— it's the Yankees and all the cachet that comes with the Yankees, and they love him in New York. He's been so productive. It's funny. You and I, we talked a lot about how it, it comes down to money. We would like to speculate that it's relationships, want to go back to your hometown team. Well, the Padres put more money on the table, $400 million, $40 million more than the Yankees, but yet he went where he believed he belonged. And I think there's another angle to this, although not many players will talk about it. And Trey Turner's name obviously came up in conversations with a lot of different clubs, as did Aaron Judge. I think there's an indirect concern about the California tax rate on salaries. It's a, it's the highest in the nation. And maybe that chases some players away, that they'll go somewhere else. Florida does not have that income tax. Texas does not have that income tax. So that maybe weighs into the conversation agent to player. I don't know if it did directly to Aaron Judge. I don't know if it did to Trey Turner because his, his poll was going back to Philadelphia because he's got family in New Jersey, in Delaware, and in Pennsylvania. Well, that's what um, Phil Mickelson talked about that a few years ago, and he got lambasted over it, and he ended up moving to Florida. But yeah, what at the, the very top level in California, it's 13.3%. When you mo- multiply that across $400 million, that's a heck of a lot of money. All right, so Aaron Judge is a New York Yankee. Now let's bring it home. Were you more shocked with this end result with the Padres, they raid the Boston Red Sox for that bat? Did that, that steal your breath away? Because I thought this could happen. I didn't think it would come at that price tag, but it did happen. Yeah, it was surprising to me because the Padres were speculating on all these different shortstops, which we were surprised by. Then they made a run for Turner, and then that didn't work out. And they said, well, you know, we're, we're out of the market for shortstops. And then all of a sudden, Bogarts comes. And yeah, it's a shocker, both in San Diego and in Boston. 29 years of age, he gets the $11 million deal. And that obviously takes him up to about $25.5 million per season, which was right about the price tag that you and I talked about a week ago when we did our, our baseball meetings preview. I thought his price tag would be 24 to $25 million based on what agents were telling me. They, they get a star, 292 career hitter. He's got some pop. He does not have the range of other shortstops. He's huge. He's a big guy, but he's really, really good. And I'll tell you, how shocking is the other piece of the story? The Red Sox had done a Zoom call with him earlier that afternoon, and they upgraded the offer. They only offered him six years, 160. 160 as the market was rocketing. And he never responded. You know how the Red Sox found out? This is a shocker. Their front office was at the Delta Club at Lindbergh Field waiting to catch an 11 p.m. flight to go back to Boston when they got the message 
that Bogarts was going to San Diego. Not from the player, not from the agent. They got notified from the media. Do you think their hearts sank as they sat in the Delta Club at Lindbergh Field? Holy cow. And are they getting skewered by the Boston media, which always has opinions, John? (laughs) Because if you, you look back at the last two years of rosters the Red Sox have had, and how many guys are gone off that roster, obviously led by Mookie Betts, but so many others. Oh, bad time in Boston. By the way, in Boston, the winter's coming too. Uh, Bogertz, this guy can play. He can hit. He's a real, real strong influence in the clubhouse. He was beloved. He was a Red Sox for life up until yesterday afternoon. And and this this has a lot of domino effects it now allows the Padres to rearrange their infield. You got Machado at third to get Bogarts at short. They will move Hassan Kim to second. Cronenworth becomes maybe a quasi first baseman or maybe even an outfielder. Uh, there are negatives that are attached to this, and it sounds weird to say there are negatives right now. But the Padres, John, have now rocketed above the $233 million luxury threshold and above the second threshold, which was 253 as of dinner time tonight, Padres payroll is two fifty four, and they still got acquisitions that they have to make, and they still got arbitration guys that they got to sign. The Padres tax rate at this instant, and it's going to go higher. They owe Major League Baseball ten and a half million dollars right now for because they're a third time offender over the second tier of of the luxury tax. In addition, they forfeit second and fifth round draft picks because they're a third-time offender, and they're giving up a million dollars in international signing bonus money. So, John, this is an enormous investment for that player today, but it's also an investment that's going to impact down the road. And the Padres are not done. They still need a left fielder, although they just did sign David Dahl, who had had a group of good years as a left fielder Mm -hmm. with Colorado. Uh, They've got stories and pitches out there uh, to Kodai Senga, but I don't know that they can afford it. If, if he's asking 15 to $20 million per year, whether they can afford the Japanese pitcher, there is a whole second tier of pitchers they can go get and rent. So uh, Xander's acquisition, wow, boy, are there stars. And, of course, you got Tatis coming back, too. Yeah. I mean, it, the narrative seems to be, you know, put Bogarts at short, Kim the second, Cronenworth the first. I'm of the opinion that it's not going to be that because Kim is the superior defensive player. So you should leave him at, at short. And Bogarts has some questions defensively. So maybe have him at second. They're all going to rotate around with the DH position, depending on who else they sign. But get this. The Padres are going to have six shortstops in the field covering the eight defensive positions. I mean, Tatis, Machado, Kim, Cronenworth, uh, Bogarts and and who Manny. Am I, and Manny, yeah. So uh, and Nola, Nola's a shortstop too. So uh, incredible. And and next year because they can't do the shift, you know, you're going to need those infielders to play a really good D and have a lot of range. And now when you got six shortstops on the field, it's going to be incredible. Six shortstops, no left fielder, no first baseman, and a little bit thin in the pitching rotation. Banner day. This is an exciting day, exciting week for San Diego Padre history for its fans, for its community. But, you know, we'll put an asterisk next to any conversation going forward because, John, you got Machado opting out and you got Soto represented by Scott Boros, who always takes his client to free agency. 
So the Padres have to win this year or next year. And the other item that's part of this conversation, there's a lot of mileage on that starting rotation. There's a lot of age. Do you know the Padres have the second oldest starting rotation in all of Major League Baseball? So got to win. This guy gives you a chance to I'm, I'm I am so amped about what they did. And I know there's a lot of screeching from some of my cohorts in the media about dollars and is this sustainable? Hey, pal, it's not our money. It's <laughs> Peter Sadler's money. Right. Now, the downside to what they've done is ticket prices are going to jump again. They've raised ticket prices 20 percent, then 18 percent in the last two years. I got to believe with a 254 million plus payroll Ticket prices might bounce up again, but I'm not going to throw cold water on the sunny day that we have right now mm-hmm. because this is this is really a lot of fun. It's it's fantastic. The Padre fans have something to be excited about. Petco Park is just so fantastic, you know, with big crowds, lots of young people. It's a party scene, and they're going to take it up a notch next year. Next team, they have not done much yet, and now people are looking at them and saying, uh, what's your roster look like right now? Past World Series champion? <laughs> Uh, Dodgers got holes everywhere. Dodgers have all that money in their pocket right now. All the big names are pretty much coming off the board. Here's a storyline with the Dodgers. Well, they did not retain Trey Turner. They did not get Bogarts, whom they really liked. They're not going to negotiate any longer with Carlos Correa. Somewhere in the hierarchy of Dodger ownership, they decided because he was part of the Houston Astros 2017 team that cheated, the sign-stealing squad that beat the Dodgers in the playoffs. The Dodgers have broken off talks with Carlos Correa. They're not going there. Now, they they got issues. And I think the biggest issue with the Dodgers, in addition to what I'm really concerned about their pitching staff, but I think the biggest issue right now is they're trying to sell the L.A. market that the Gavin Luxes and the Miguel Vargases of the world and the five young pitchers led by Ryan Pepio, those guys are going to replace the guys they just lost. Five young kids who have hardly played at all in the major leagues are going to step in and keep the Dodgers a pennant contender. I don't know that I can buy that sales pitch right now. And I don't think Dodger fans are real happy because this is a team that draws $4 million. This is a team that has always spent a lot of money, and they still have 101 million dollars in their pocket unspent they signed a free agent today jason hayward 100 years old <laughs> yeah. once upon a time really good player yeah, he Cubs in atlanta braves but not not recently a lot of injuries this followed the signing of shelby miller a once promising free agent pitcher who was with atlanta did well early in atlanta arizona then he got hurt pitched for three clubs last year got released by three clubs last year those are their offseason acquisitions So the Dodgers have a lot to make up here as they go along. It's just not the same team. Justin Turner is still out there on the market. He's talking to the Miami Marlins, but Miami's not going to pay Justin Turner $15 million. Uh, He'll have to take a pay cut to come back. There's no Cody Bellinger anymore. Uh, It's interesting. I don't know how the Dodgers can sales pitch the the community and says, hey, Gavin Lux, Miguel Vargas. We're going to win with those guys plus the five kid pitchers. I don't know that I buy that sales pitch. Yeah, it's amazing to me because we were speculating they were kind of clearing the deck, clearing roster, um, payroll space for Judge 
or for Verlander, and neither one of them came to L.A. And, you know, who's left on the board? I mean, it's starting to get thin. There was a, it was a huge free agent class, but little by little, they're, they're slipping away from the Dodgers. Well, Kodai Senga is out there. Here's an intriguing angle to what we've witnessed in the last 72 hours. Think about this. Aaron Judge does not come to the Padres, but he doesn't go to the Dodgers nor the Giants. Mm. Trey Turner leaves the division. He's not a Padre. Obviously not a Dodger. He's not playing for the Giants either. Xander Bogarts, he's not going to be with the Dodgers, not with the Giants. These are the Padres. Uh, Can you say first place San Diego Padres when we get to opening day of the start of the season based where we are right now and who's on whose roster? Yeah, it's a great it's a great situation (laughs) unfolding for San Diego. Who would have thunk, you know, 20 years ago we'd be in this situation? Who's left out there? Now, this is as we talk to you on Thursday night, the free agents that are out there and they're still significant guys, the Japanese pitcher Senga. He's going to wind up signing pretty quickly, and he's going to wind up signing for a pretty good price tag. I am surprised Carlos Rondon, uh, the ex-Giant, ex-White Sox left-hander, has not been signed yet. I would have thought that he would have been locked in. As soon as Verlander went to the New York Mets, I thought Rodon would wind up getting signed. That has not happened yet. Chris Bassett is out there. Now, he's asking for four to five years. He's asking a lot of money. Maybe his price tag has to come down just a little bit before he's going to get it. Dansby Swanson, the shortstop, is still out there. Maybe the Dodgers make a run at him. Uh, you know, But Atlanta, I think, has still got the wherewithal to re-sign him and bring him back where he's developed into a star. Brandon Nemo, uh, the Mets outfielder. Uh, Michael Conforto, the Yankees uh, outfielder. Those are some of the Tier 2 players that are out there. And then there's a, just a pile of Tier 3 guys that, you get an affordable price, you plug in, and they'd be your fifth starting pitcher or maybe your fourth outfielder or a super utility man. Your thoughts on on who's going to go where with what's left? Yeah, the the one name that is on the list there, we talked a little bit about Chris Bassett. It was an interesting angle um, for the Padres and, and Kodai Senga. Um, I'm just kind of curious to see where Carlos Rodon lands because that that guy was just so dominant for the Giants last season. Um, there's a lot of teams that could that could use a, a player like that, but I'm just surprised he hasn't gone more quickly. Um, the other interesting uh, player that you mentioned is Conforto. Um, that he was he didn't play at all last year because of injuries and kind of some weird things going on with free agency and draft picks, et cetera. That's a guy you could plug in and play left field at probably a not too outrageous of a price, and he could offer a lot of value. Oh, contraire. Coming off shoulder surgery, mm-hmm. that's an iffy proposition. Just ask Cody Bellinger, represented by Scott Boros. Are you going down that road again? Well, it seems that uh, Seidler and, and Boros have this relationship and, uh, and trust with one another, so who knows? Okay, before we move into the football page, uh, just to reflect for our viewers on our live stream, how they can join us in Fans Forum, and sales pitch them again on subscribing to what we're doing every day of the week on our podcast or website, etc. Well, I'll tell you what, the Fans Forum is loading up. I'm going through the chat here, and a lot of our, our viewers and, and listeners are just filling it up with questions for Hacksaw. If you've got a comment or question, type them in on Facebook or on YouTube. We'll get you involved in the Fans Forum segment at the conclusion of the podcast. And yeah, you know, click on that subscribe button on YouTube, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, and follow Hacksaw on Twitter and other social media platforms. Okay, on we go. National Football League, huge weekend of muscle 
must-win games, including the Chargers. Chargers, Miami Dolphins, huge game. Uh, Justin Herbert is carrying this franchise by himself. This team is now 6-6 six and six on the season. He's getting no protection. He's frantic, making plays down the field, taking a lot of sacks. He's healthy enough to the point now, he, John, he's starting to run the football. But he, he and Austin Eckler can't do it by themselves. And their wide receiver core has gotten pedestrian. It's gotten very spotty. Keenan Allen has finally come back. They're in big trouble. Offensive line is just a disaster. We talked last week about the fact they were playing the two rookies at left tackle and right tackle because of injuries. Uh, Now they don't have their center, Corey Lindsley, who's back in concussion protocol for a second time in about a month. Their two young tackles have just not been able to hold up at all. Uh, let, Let me throw these statistics at you. In the last four games, Justin Herbert has been sacked 18 times in four games, has taken 26 hits and 41 pressures in in just the last four games. Those two left tackles between them have given up seven sacks, ton of pressures, and a whole bunch of hits. And these are the guys that they got to dance with because there is nobody else that that can play. Uh, Herbert faces Tua Tagovailoa. Miami quarterback is just just grown up as a superstar. Mm-hmm. Now, they got beat last week, finally, but he's putting up staggering numbers. And Tua is not only throwing touchdowns, he's not throwing interceptions. He's become a game changer rather than a game manager. And Tyreek Hill, the ex-Kansas City Chiefs, got 96 receptions. He's averaging 14-plus yards per catch. And Jalen Waddle, the second-year wide receiver, He's got 56 catches. John, he's averaging 19 yards per reception. Miami comes in to play the Chargers in Los Angeles. The Bolts have to win. They're running out of time on the clock. They're running out of games on the schedule. You know, and and getting beat last week by the Raiders was just a horrible setback for them. I'll tell you, that's a superstar quarterback. I feel really bad. He just has nobody around him to help him, and they, they can't protect him. And the minute coaches see on video... That that left tackle, that right tackle can't handle blitzes or can't handle guys coming off scrapes and stunts. They're going to do that and they're going to do that and they're going to do that until your eyes water and your nose bleed and you learn how to block it and they haven't been able to block it. And I mean, look at the last four games. I mean, 18 sacks in four weeks and 41 pressures and all those hits on Justin Herbert. Thoughts on Herbert versus Tua? Yeah, it was interesting watching the game on TV because the announcers were almost sympathetic for Herbert, that they knew he has all this talent, but the world is crumbling around him. Uh, but you saw that play, that touchdown pass he threw on fourth down. What yep. was it? Um, was it to uh, fourth and 12 to Keenan Allen? Yeah. Over I mean, the shoulder, over the safety, one handed grab. And by the way, there's the boundary marker. Unbelievable. It was tremendous. I mean, so the things that he's doing on the field are, are great. And then we even talked a little bit about how the the Chargers defense is like a sieve. And then Jacobs gets in there with the Raiders. What was he averaging per rush last week? It was six. Six yards per Nice round number. Six. (laughs) I mean, that's just not going to get it done. But now looking at the Dolphins and Tua, yeah, he's growing up. But remember, we were always talking about Tua and the concussion protocol and the challenges that he had. It's incredible that he's been able to kind of get up off the mat, get healthy, 
and play at that elite level. I mean, what a, a new superstar in the league. He's thrown for 2,900 yards. He's missed three games. He's thrown for 2,900 yards. He's got 21 touchdowns. He has only five interceptions. Uh, he's playing really well. And, of course, he's got dynamic guys down the field. Not only guys running to get open, but guys catching a ball and getting huge yards after catch, yak, uh, for, <laughs> yak. for yards down the field. Yeah. And, uh, they're dangerous, and this will be a throwing contest, and I don't know how Justin Herbert's going to be able to hang in there with Tua because Tua's got all the bullets in the gun, and, and Justin hardly has any weaponry at all to use. Now, let's go from there. Uh, you know, there's a lot of controversy around the NFL, uh, and this this story just broke on Wednesday night. Matt Ariza, no rape charges filed against him, nor either of his teammates this after. Five-month investigation by police, eight months. The universities now have their own investigation. District attorney's offices looked at all the data, the amount of evidence that they had to review, which is why this thing took eight to nine months before a, quote, decision was made by the DA's office. At the end of the day, nobody wins this thing. That kid's reputation has been stained irreparably. That young 17-year-old woman was obviously the victim of a multiple sexual assault. Whether whether it was consensual or not, we'll probably never know. I guess the, the things that were revealed in the, in the actual release that I, I saw were that the police had video evidence of the sexual activity. We did not know that. Wow. The San Diego police, after they conducted their investigation, when they turned over the file to the DA— at the front page, we do not recommend charges. There was an awful lot of gray area. There was an awful lot of he said, she said. There was a lot of lack of documentation because she confirmed and she admitted. Heavily involved with alcohol, was in and out of consciousness. And I was told by a police official that one of the problems that I think the district attorney encountered was there were so many gaps in the story because she was not conscious, or she did not remember. And the last sentence, we did not think there was information there that would lead to a conviction because there was so much gray area. It's horrible. It's sad. Nobody's won in this. It stained the program. It wrecked that kid's career for at least one year. It's obviously damaged the woman. Now, that's the court case. There is a civil lawsuit. We'll find out whether or not the civil lawsuit goes forward. And that'll be pretty sleazy if it actually does wind up in court. Uh, I feel bad for the kid, but he made a bad decision. He needs to admit that he made a bad decision. Can he put it behind him? Yeah. And I do think somebody will bring him to camp. Maybe it'll be Buffalo. Maybe it won't be. Somebody will bring him a camp and obviously give him a chance to be an NFL kicker. But this will be stapled to his driver's license and his resume for a long period of time, whether or not the Chargers were made or not. Yeah, I agree with you. No one wins here. Um, after the news broke, you kind of had all these mixed feelings, oh, right? I've... You know, because you want justice to be done. You want the victim to, to you know, have you know, have justice served. But at the same time, Ariza, prior to this incident, was a golden boy in San Diego, the punk god, and, you know, went to Rancher Bernardo High, and we were all kind of on his bandwagon cheering him on. And then this threw us sideways, this whole this whole news. Now, I read also that the San Diego police do not aggressively pursue these cases when there is alcohol involved by both parties. Now, is that a cop out by the cops? I don't know. 
But um, it's just kind of a shame that this sort of is this news story is kind of evaporating rather than coming to a conclusion. It's sorted. We'll find out whether this thing goes forward. But, you know, you talk about how you feel, how you should react. I felt like going on the room and washing my hands. Yeah. It was just a really grimy story. Speaking of controversy around the National Football League, let's talk about the quarterback situations. Holy cow, there's a lot of stuff going on around the NFL. You know, Deshaun Watson came back and played for the Cleveland Browns in his first game after the 11 game suspension for all the sexual misconduct. Before the game, he was down on the field after he had done warm-ups, everything. And normally players mingle with coaches on other teams. Hi, how are you, etc. And he walked up to the owner of the Houston Texans franchise, Cal McNair, and shook his hand. Uh, their party, and I think, was kind of a mixed bag. He turned and wanted to say hello to Hannah McNair, his wife. She turned around and walked away. Oh, Now, Hannah McNair has been very much an advocate does a lot of charity work in the Houston community on behalf of women who are victims of domestic abuse, rape crisis centers, things like that. She turned in front of everybody, refused to shake his hand, and walked away. Deshaun Watson, public enemy number one, got he got booed every time he came on the field with the offense, even though Cleveland beat a really bad Houston Texans team. So this Deshaun Watson story, in all honesty, uh, is not going to go away. Baker Mayfield, Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, out here on the West Coast. Uh, Mayfield, with the L.A. Rams, asked for his release from the Carolina Panthers when it was apparent he was not going to be played. Went on the waiver wire, the Rams picked him up. They're going to have him for the last five to six weeks of the regular season. We'll see how he plays. We'll see what Matthew Stafford's health down road is with the bruised spinal column. So Baker Mayfield's going to get an opportunity. Uh, The best part about the timing of this is, yeah, he gets hired by the Rams. After they play this Thursday night game against the Raiders, they'll have 10 off days. So they got 10 days to really ingrain him in the playbook. So he'll get a pretty decent opportunity to take snaps because I think Matthew Stafford is – gone for the year now since he's been placed on IR. Tough setback for the 49ers. I think this changes the whole chemistry of San Francisco. And I I know you're a, a West Coast Bay Area guy and you love the Christian McCaffrey acquisition from Carolina. Mm-hmm. But they won't be the same offense with Brock Purdy at quarterback. I'm just, I'm sorry. That, that kid from Iowa State has looked pretty good in practice and looked pretty good in preseason. But, but that's not NFL playoff crunch time. And defenses will do things to force him into things that he can't handle. Trust me. I know those coaches. I know what they're doing, looking at all the video. This is a big blow for San Francisco because the one thing about Garoppolo, he made plays down the field. Jimmy did not turn the ball over. His quarterback rating was over 100. I think his career record is 41-19. and Now he's got a broken foot. So suddenly, San Francisco looks like a really different team. They're going to have to run the football a lot more to take pressure off Brock Purdy. They'll continue to play really good defense. So that's a unique quarterback story there. In New England, Big controversy. Mac Jones, the kid from Alabama, the quarterback, the starter, he's really upset with the play calling. And he's got two defensive guys who are calling plays for him. You know, it's been a weird year. Matt Patricia, longtime defensive coordinator, Belichick ally, former coach Detroit Lions. Matt Patricia's calling the plays. And Joe Judge, linebacker coach, former defensive coordinator, former Giants head coach, he's the assistant offensive coordinator. And Mac Jones is really upset that they're not going down the field. 
that all those dink and dunk and, you know, nickel and dime, five and ten yard passes that Matt Patricia's calling. He finally lost his composure. He blew his lid on the sidelines last week. Bill Belichick's response is, it's too late in the season. We can't make changes in our coaching staff to try to fix what's wrong. End of the day, New England's a very ordinary football team now post-Tom Brady era, and Mac Jones was supposed to lead him to great things, and that that's not happening right now, but he's steamed at Patricia and Judge, Belichick's right-hand guys, defensive guys calling offensive plays. So that relationship hasn't gone well. Atlanta's got a new quarterback. It's taken a lot longer than I thought it would. They're sitting Marcus Mariota down, Desmond Ritter, the rookie from the University of Cincinnati, who was dazzling in preseason, but that was back in August. He's going to make his first start this weekend. So he'll be the new starting quarterback, I think, going forward in what's turned out to be a bad season in Atlanta. And I don't know what they're going to do in Indianapolis. Matt Ryan had four turnovers last week, and all of a sudden he's throwing the ball where he shouldn't throw it, and he's throwing out of desperation. He's taking sacks and he's fumbles. His, his turnover sack statistics are just horrific. Indianapolis is trying to make a decision and probably make a decision on Saturday as to whether Matt Ryan stays or they go back to Sam Erlinger, uh, the rookie from Texas who didn't play well. So ton of controversy and storylines in the NFL. It's your turn to talk about the guys in the pocket. Yeah, well, Matt Ryan was a disaster. I watched some of that game. I mean, Dallas just rolled them. Um, That was unbelievable. But it's interesting, you know, Brock Purdy in San Francisco, Mr. Irrelevant, you know, the last guy picked in the draft, and he's leading the team, but he's the third string guy, you know. So the good news for him is that He's got that great defense in San Francisco. He's got all those weapons around him. He just has to not make mistakes. And I think San Francisco can advance very deep into the playoffs. That's easier said than done for you sitting here in a San Diego studio <laughs> yeah. when he's trying to do pre-snap reads. And are they blitzing or what are they showing me? Oh, I've never seen this before on video. Uh-oh. Uh, Brock Purdy, welcome to the National Football League. Okay, let's go to college football. I don't know if you saw his first meeting with his players. You need to YouTube Deion Sanders, Colorado team meeting. He did about a 15-minute speech to the full room of players in Boulder, Colorado, coming off a miserable 1-11 season. And by the time he was done, I was pretty impressed with the sales pitch. By the time I was done, probably a lot of those players in Colorado are entering the transfer portal. He, he entitled his thing, I'm a coming. I'm a coming and we're going to do this and we're not going to be that. And we're going to Go get this done, and we're not going to make these mistakes that you made last year. He went on and on and on. It was a really strong sales pitch. I mean, you know, Neon Dion's got flash, prime time. Uh, now the question is, he's going to need players. That was a great speech, but that's not going to help you win opening day next year. He's going to dive into that transfer portal. Uh, he told the entire Colorado group of players, I think there were 95 there, if you don't think you can handle what I'm going to be, enter the transfer portal. Because, pal, I'm a coming. It was it was prime time stuff. Next day, he fired all 12 assistant coaches on the Colorado staff. I believe his son, Shedrick Sanders, who engineered Jackson State to an unbeaten season 13-0. I believe the younger Sanders is transferring in and will be the starting quarterback. He's also hired one of the key assistants off uh, Nick Saban's staff at Alabama to be his defensive coordinator. He's hired a coach, uh, an assistant coach to be his offensive coordinator. Now he's just got to go get players, and out the transfer portal has opened up. But uh, it was fun. It was, I, I watched it. If you Google it, you'll laugh. But it is 
It is quite a sales pitch from primetime. Yeah, I saw it. I okay. saw the. I saw it. It's fantastic. And he had a great speech to the outgoing players at Jackson State when he left. And then this speech in front of the team, basically calling them out and saying, you guys aren't getting it done. And you better be looking at that transfer portal because you're not going to make it here. But I love everything about this story. I mean, I love primetime. I love the confidence. I love the the fact that he is heroic, the way he's coming into Colorado to transform the organization. And the dude is not going to take any excuses. It, he is going to, he's going to, you know, really go for it. And yeah, he's bringing in his kid to be QB, but what a, just a great story. And to bring Colorado Buffaloes, which used to be a, a really good program, you know, back when they had Rashawn Salam and they had a lot of really good players. Yeah, Bill McCartney era. Yeah. And who was the kid that was the quarterback that went and played for Pittsburgh? He was pretty good, too. Cordell Stewart. There you go. So all these great players that were in Colorado, but we haven't heard anything from that that organization, that, that team in years, in decades. So I love everything about this. And I'm, I'm like on board. I'm on board with the Coach Prime. <laughs> Uh, I close my eyes and I see him intercepting a pass against the Chargers. I was so upset. He put his hand behind his helmet, oh, I running that. in front of the Charger <laughs> bench, high-stepping into the end zone. I yeah. thought somebody was going to come off the bench and belt him. I'll tell you the intangible part about this hiring. This goes into the, the pot as the Pac-12 tries to negotiate its next TV media deal. Not only do you have Lincoln Riley at USC and what they just completed at UCLA, and not only do you have what Oregon and Washington have become, now you got primetime out there in the Rocky Mountain era. And I'll tell you, there'll be a lot of eyes watching Colorado football to start the season to see how different they are, how good they might be. So it's a fascinating story. All right, let's move on. We've got basketball to talk about and more serious stuff. Yeah, I mean, this this story just broke earlier today uh, um, about Brittany Griner, and um, I am thrilled with this result. So I'll let you break it down. Well, Brittany Griner has now landed in San Antonio after this all-day flight from uh, Moscow. She had been imprisoned at a, a penal colony 300 miles southeast of Moscow in a work detail and had served about 10 months of what would be her prison sentence. The negotiations obviously picked up very quickly within the last couple of days. The U.S. had decided they would release this arms dealer who was involved with a a lot of terrorism stuff. He would be the one that would be going back to Russia. Uh, There's a lot of controversy about the Biden administration. You left Paul Whelan, the scientist who has been jailed in Moscow. You left him behind, did not include him in the deal. But the Biden people came back in a press conference that we had only one deal to make. It was either Griner or there'd be no deal whatsoever for anybody. And they'll continue the dialogue to see if they can get Paul Whelan out from behind uh, being a political prisoner. She comes home. At this point, we don't know how her health is physically nor mentally. Uh, Everybody, I think, is very pleased that the Biden administration, at the height of this hate for what Putin's done in Russia to Ukraine, that somehow there was another avenue of communications that they were able to execute this. Uh, She's learned a lot. Uh, Hopefully she'll be able to get her career and her life back in. It does not appear that she was mistreated by any stretch. She was just put in a tough situation because she put herself into the tough situation by bringing drugs in. But uh, congratulations to the White House because they executed it. And I think the most stunning thing to me, John, 
is in the wake of the horrors of what Russia is doing with Ukraine to Ukraine in violation of everything mankind could ever know. I mean, this is as bad as Hitler and this is as bad as Mussolini, that there was an avenue for other people to negotiate her release. So I don't know whether that opens the door to solve other issues, a.k.a. Ukraine. Only time will tell there. Yeah, it's it's a it's a. A lot going on over there in that part of the world. But uh, to me, this is what the American government and the, and our foreign um, uh, foreign affairs staff needs to be doing is protecting Americans. And in this case, bringing them home. Now, I know there's a lot of political chirping about this on a lot of levels. Was it a fair trade? You gave up an arms dealer for a basketball player. And I'm like, you can't think of it in those terms. We have to think of it in terms of this is an American we need to bring our American home for, frankly, for an unjust, in our opinion, my opinion, an unjust violation. Uh, but I'm happy she's coming back. Her wife is going to be thrilled to have her back. And hopefully, to your point, this may be the beginning of maybe some more diplomacy with Russia that can maybe improve relations. On we go. Let's talk about the NBA just very briefly. They can't stay healthy. Uh, everybody's excited the Lakers have won a few games. They still can't stay healthy. LeBron James and Anthony Davis are again dinged up. Although Anthony Davis last week had back-to-back games of 45 and 55 points. That being said, the Lakers are not a playoff team at this point in time. And now the question, because we've gotten beyond Thanksgiving, and that's when the Lakers said they'd start to consider whether or not they should keep that guy or trade that guy, Russell Westbrook. Now the story comes back out there that they've reopened talks with the Indiana Pacers. And the question is for Indiana to take on Russell Westbrook's contract, $47 million for whatever's left this season. They also want the Lakers to include two number one picks in 2027 and 2029. Uh, Lakers have refused to do that because then they'd be mortgaging off the whole future. The issue is, though, if they can get rid of Westbrook's contract, the Lakers will have real significant salary cap money to use next summer. Um what I think the Lakers should do is tell Indiana, you want these two number one picks will probably be pretty high. You flip us one of your future number ones. Get us something back in our inventory that at least we can have in our pocket to use. I, I give credit to Darvin Ham. He, he's been really tough on his players. He told Russell Westbrook, this is the role. This is what I want you to do. Go do it. And Russell's got the motivation. He's playing for his next contract, whatever dollar value that would be, whether it's $20 million or $30 million, It's surely not going to be 47 Westbrook has adopted to what they want done. Now, he's not playing as much defense as he should, but Russell Westbrook is averaging 18 points and eight assists and four rebounds per game. So off the bench, I still think he's got value, and he's playing for the next contract. So this bears watching as we've rolled into December because the Lakers said we'll make a decision right after Thanksgiving whether we keep this thing intact or and try to be competitive or if we can get Miles Turner and we had Buddy Heald from Indiana, three-point shooter and a, a rim protector, if they make that deal and think they could get better that way with those two guys rather than with Russell Westbrook reaction. Uh, the L.A. Lakers fans must be coming out of their mind. I mean, they're, they're so accustomed to Showtime, to the Kobe era and Shaq, and now the, the franchise is a shambles. Um, when LeBron signed, there was a lot of enthusiasm 
And when a, you know, when AD came, a lot of extra enthusiasm, but just hasn't panned out. So they're in between a rock and a hard place with this Westbrook contract. I mean, I, th- I agree with you. I think if they could flip him to Indiana, you know, Buddy Heald's a de- a definitely a great player. He played at Oklahoma, I think, yes. right? And he, he was great back then. Um, br- you know, bring him in um, and maybe – they can get a number one back from the Pacers because it'll probably be a low number one because the Pacers will be a lot better. Boy, if the Lakers could do that, I, I think they're going to be in a in a different state. Maybe not better, but maybe not a heck of a lot worse. Okay, final comment here before we go to our last topic on the table. Uh, again, for the fans, how do they subscribe to all the different things that we're doing on our podcast, not just our regular Thursday show, but now what we're doing most every day of the week? Yeah, so you can uh, if you subscribe on YouTube, you're, you're not only going to get the the Thursday live streams that Hacksaw and I do every Thursday at three, but then we take each of these individual segments and we kind of spread them out and we spread the love throughout the weekend and into the early part of next week. So you'll get alerts on all of those as well. You know, kind of Hacksaw's headlines in in nice four to five minute segments. Uh, so subscribe on YouTube and then definitely subscribe wherever you get your podcast to get the full episode. Okay, corner kick me the final question here, John. Yeah, so the World Cup just concluded, we're not concluded for America, but it's hot and heavy for a lot of other teams. I mean, let's let's dive in. Okay, we're down to the quarterfinals and we go to the semifinals in the championship game. World Cup, who survives? Uh, to me, the, the matchups on Friday will be fascinating because we're on a collision course. I do think by the time we get to dinner at Friday night, Argentina and Brazil will have both won their quarters, and they'll play in the semis. Wow. Think about that. The other quarterfinals, most unique matchup of all time, friends and enemies, England versus France on mm-hmm. Saturday. That's going to be fun. And then you got the surprise Morocco team, which nobody saw this coming. Morocco is still alive. Uh, they're going to wind up playing Portugal. But, boy, you you look at the names that are left. There's still some really good players out there. First-hand chance on Friday to watch Lionel Messi. First-hand chance to see the controversial that uh, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo has become. First chance to see Casemiro. He's the next Brazilian superstar that everybody is talking about. And then, of course, you got Harry Kane and everybody on the English side as they go play a, a really good a French team led by uh, Kaim Mbappé. So the, the the quarterfinals are just going to be cool. It's too bad that Brazil and Argentina are on the same side of the bracket. I wish mm-hmm. they had been differently. So that's that's one item of the World Cup. Let's talk about the coach, Greg Berhalter. I think he's done an unbelievable job uh, removing all the great veterans that had played in the Landon Donovan era going through the growing pains of importing so many young guys, convincing some of these players who have dual citizenship, the Roberto Pepe's of the world, that we want you to play for the red, white, and blue and not go home somewhere else. It's fascinating how he's made this thing come together. And they pushed the envelope. They got through the group play. They got to the knockout round. That was a very, very tough loss that they had. But at the end of the day, in the big picture, I think he's done a really good job. And they've just started negotiating what they think might be a four-year contract extension. And I don't know if Team USA has arrived as a global power. 
But getting out of group play and getting into the knockout round with a young roster, age mm-hmm. 25, and with Christian Pulisic, and we've talked extensively about how we sat here and watched this kid grow from a young man into a dominant physical force player. Uh, I think Team USA is in a great situation. And Burhalter did not want to talk about his contract up until this week. Now it's confirmed that the USSF, the Soccer Federation, is meeting with his lawyers to talk about an extension. He's much better set of circumstances than the Mexican coach who got fired an hour after their loss, <laughs> the German coach who yes. was quit, and the Spain coach who quit this morning. Wow. So I think Burhalter has done a great job. One other note, by virtue of the success of Team USA— Every player gets $294,000 in bonus money. The U.S. Soccer Federation gets $13 million as their payoff for getting out of group play and playing into the first round of the knockout round. But you know the one that also gets rewarded? And nobody's talked about this. By virtue of the new equal pay agreement that Team USA negotiated with the Women's Soccer Federation, the women get $13 million too. Mm-hmm. They get a USSF bonus, which is huge in terms of funding women's soccer on top of what the, the men have just completed. Your response? Well, uh, I agree. I think USA did a great job. They exceeded expectations. Um, that win over Iran was fantastic. I was up early in the morning on Saturday, and it was a disappointing loss to the Netherlands. But they were co- clearly a, a team at a different level than America. But there's a lot of great hope for 2026. So good on Burkhalter to renew the deal. But I agree with you also that Argentina and Brazil on one side of the bracket's intriguing. And I look at it from this perspective that um, – we are so focused on sports in the United States of America and by extension also to, you know, uh, soccer in, in Europe and even basketball in Europe and then baseball in East Asia, in Japan and Korea. But we never really talk much about sports in South America. And now in the biggest um, event of, of every every four years with the World Cup, Brazil and Argentina are very, very relevant. And they typically always are. But it's nice to see those nations come into the forefront. All you need to know is this phrase. I have a journalist friend in Rio de Janeiro, a sports guy. Mm -hmm. The world stops. When the World Cup is played and Brazil plays, nothing gets done in Sao Paulo or Rio de Janeiro or (laughs) Bogota. Nothing. World stops and the world will be stopped on Friday Uh, as Brazil plays and obviously what Argentina does. Okay, on we go. Fans Forum. This is kind of cool. We'd like to have all those on live stream have an opportunity to be part of the conversation. Uh, we got an absolute ton. How are we all? We're not going to be able to get all this on, but we'll get a chunk of it on. Far away, John, where do you want to start? Okay, so this is from Jesse and and, um, asking, Lee, who are we going to get as the DH for the Padres? Well, there'll be a lot of guys out there, a lot of bats out there at the bottom of the order. Uh, They could bring back Luke Voigt, who was not tendered a contract by the Washington Nationals could bring back Brandon Dury uh, because he can play multiples and multiples of positions. If you're asking me right now, uh, and uh, the price will be right because the price on all these guys is going to come down, I'd take a run. I'd take a run at Voigt. I'd take a run at Drury with the ideology. You're going to be a DH. You might be a part-time first baseman. You might be my part-time third baseman, my part-time outfielder, Brandon. 
I think that's the direction they look at. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting the the options they have. I know there's a lot of Padre fans that love to bring Will Myers back, but it just seems we need to turn the page on that guy because he just wasn't able to perform. Um, but Drury would would be an excellent fit because of his versatility. Um, and who knows? I mean. Yeah, Voight, yeah, that might be a kind of a fun one to kind of revisit as well. He was popular. Will Myers will see what kind of price tag. He'll probably go somewhere. He's not a bad ball player. He just wasn't worth $20 million uh, when you hit two fifty eight and don't hit the ton of home runs. But uh, he's he's probably a Tier 2 player. I wouldn't mind to have a Tier 2 player, but it can't be at $20 million. Next question. Well, this is also from Jesse. It says, do any of these guys factor in what a great city San Diego would be to live in as opposed to where they chose quality of life? Jesse, these guys can live anywhere they want because they now have change in their pocket. Uh, San Diego is a great place to live. And I I think that the perspective now of ownership has now changed. It's no longer small market America. Uh, The fact that the Padres are bidders for a lot of talent on the fact that they've done these kind of $300 million deals. It's just a very, very different message. And, you know, I I interact with national media guys all the time. And now now the Padres are mentioned when any player is available that there might be a potential of a deal involving San Diego just because of the commitment of the owner's financial money. Next question. Well, this is kind of an extension of that. And it, it's and it's also from Jesse. Our owner is spending like we're the Yankees West. Well, we are. I don't know if this is sustainable. But like I said, it's not my money, not your money. Uh, it's an enormous, enormous investment. But again, things change. Uh, you know, these contracts come up for renewal. And you got you Darvish, got a lot of miles on that arm. Maybe he won't be a $20 million pitcher going forward. Maybe a year from now the contract expires. Same thing with Blake Snell. So there will be guys whose contracts are up that you could take that chunk of money and move it over here. Uh, I... I I'm just fascinated by the the player acquisitions that this ownership group has allowed that general manager to make. Just it's absolutely so much fun uh, for the community for the Padres. Yeah, it, it's 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 such a reversal from the penny pinching, the team being purchased on layaway by Morad. I mean, we've gone through so many difficult times, so much suffering, and to have Peter Seidler come in. And basically push Ron Fowler aside and said, let me be in the lead role. I'm going to put money you know, on the table. And it's it's like I'm still, all of America must be going San Diego Padres. It's almost as if the Kansas City Royals are spending gazillions of dollars. It's just so unexpected. But as a Padre fan, as a San Diegan, I mean, there's so much to be excited about. Well, I'll tell you, old time Padre fans, and this predates me coming to San Diego and probably you, Ray Kroc who saved the franchise from going to Washington. Ray Kroc invested heavily in free agency. You go back and think about the Gene Tennises and the Raleigh Fingers of the world and all all those free agents that roared through here. That was his doing. Didn't quite work out. They, they did under Jack McKeon, obviously, get to play in a World Series and all that. So we've had one ownership group that went way over the budget and did really good things, but then it it was not sustained going forward as the franchise kept being sold. But enjoy this while we can. Peter Seidler has just made an unbelievable commitment. Yeah. I mean, I'm just I'm just thrilled. So, yeah, there's a couple more here we can get on. on it. Uh, this is also from Jesse. Yeah, Trey murdered us. Trey Turner. I'm glad he's gone out of the division. He's a really fine ball player. 
Think about this. Now, I, I hate to throw cold water on the excitement that's going on right now. The impulsive Padre manager that was A.J. Preller when he came here within the first month, he traded Max Fried to Atlanta, mm. Zach Eflin to Tampa Bay, who went on to become a star in Philadelphia, and Trey Turner to Washington. He traded those guys right out of the gate, and he wasn't sure they could play, and well, look at what those guys have really become. Those are three of the marquee names that were involved in free agency. This weekend, Freed's going to be the top pitcher on the free agent board next next year. Yeah, I mean, he's a terrific lefty for Atlanta. But when Preller came in and made those deals, he gave up a lot to supposedly get a lot. But that's what put the Padres on the map. I mean, prior to that, it was the era of Chris DeNorfia, you know. So now we're <laughs> in a new space. We're in a new place as Padres fans. Now we're relevant in in the National League, in the major leagues. And really, you could say that what's been happening here in the offseason, we're ahead of the Dodgers. I mean, we beat them in the playoffs, and now our roster is improving. Their roster is regressing. Please send my mail to Lee Hacksaw Hamilton in care of first place, San Diego Padres. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it's fantastic. Hey, listen, hope you've enjoyed our Thursday podcast. We do this every Thursday. Then we do bonus coverage during the course of the week as, as sometimes stories break. Uh, I invite you to check my website. I write on it every day. I invite you to text, email, uh, send information to your followers about my website and about our podcast. And my website is leehacksawhamilton.com. You can also listen to the audio version of our podcast there, and you can subscribe uh, to our podcast so that you'll get alerts with all the different information that we pass on during the week at Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, the podcast on YouTube and all the other channels. John, have yourself a great sports weekend. Same to you. We'll chat with you next Thursday. Thanks for being with us. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. Touchdown, San Diego! For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.